Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Welcome everyone to Envision Together, going to our next level of best. I am so pleased and honored to be sitting here today. Our guest is Devin Galladay, and he has written such an amazing, fun story. We're going to have a chance to discuss that book and so many other things. Such an interesting person. Welcome, Devin, and please tell us anything else you want to have us know about you. Thank you for having me, Pamela. I'm a writer and a traveler and a guy who gets married really maybe far too many times. I've been in film and I've had it done construction and I'm a father and, you know, I do a little bit of coaching too. So it's a little bit of everything. Life throws stuff at you and then you show up for it. Fail a lot. I love that. And you know what? I love that you're able to embrace the fail a lot part of it. A lot of people think that you can reach success without the failing part. Right. Because who wants to feel discomfort or pain or something where I don't know what the answer is. Nobody likes that. To sign up for life is to sign up for failure. And the sooner that you understand that that's part of it, the quicker you get to some of those successes too. Right. And even those successes aren't necessarily successes. Do you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you get to the thing that you think is the top of the mountain. And then it's like, oh no, this was just the trail. I do know what you mean. <laughs> so, so what do you do? You show up and, you know, you either think, all right, I'll just keep climbing the mountain or I'll camp here because it's familiar. And, and maybe I don't want to do more or maybe I think I can't. And so I just think the failure part is really on all in how you look at it. Great start. Great introduction. I know from a previous conversation that you and your wife have the goal to get married in 100 countries. (laughs) What inspired you to come up with this goal and tell us about one of your most memorable wedding day moments? So my wife and I had just gotten married and I have uh, been a travel writer for the last 20 years. So I've, I've had the good fortune to travel a lot. I'm a huge fan. I, I could talk for hours on it, but I had an assignment to cover a Marriott in Puerto Vallarta, which is by the way, a lovely place. And they had found out that I had uh, just gotten married and they said, well, why don't you bring your wife along? And so we did. And you know, the general rule is when you do sort of like a press tour, for lack of a better description, is you show up and and they want you to like try everything in the hotel and you know do the slide and have the fondue and do all those kinds of things. 
And they also want you to get to know a little bit of the surrounding area. So at some point, they're like, get in the van. We're going to dump you in the middle of downtown Puerto Vallarta. I've been there many times, but I don't think my wife had at the time. And they were just like, hey, we'll pick you up in four or five hours. Have a great time. We'll see you in a few. There was a point where I was walking with a, a woman who does like cooking tips and my wife. And we were just talking about life. And there's a, a place called... Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is a very famous cathedral mm-hmm, in uh, downtown Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, no, it's like 150 years old. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's interesting. All of those things. And as a total goof, I s- turned to my wife and I said, I, why don't we go get married in there? Hmm. Like right now. And she was like, what? Huh? Uh, okay. <laughs> and Tamale was like, well, I'm ordained. And I'm like, I took off my ring and I said, great, you're presiding and it's a total goof in my brain like oh we're just you know i'm a clown and here we are we're the three clowns we're going in to this place and so we go into this place i mean there's people filled in the pews i mean it's not mobbed or anything like that but there are people there that are praying fortunately nobody was in the pulpit and (laughs) we marched to the front of the cathedral and tamalee started talking about what her relationship meant to her I mean, this was purely off the cuff, and I'm still thinking this is a goof. But while Tamalee was talking, I was thinking, you know, there were some things I didn't talk about in the first vows. And it was really sort of like how I wanted to support her, my wife's vision for her own future, whether I wanted that future or not. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes oh, I want to accomplish X. Oh, that sounds like a terrible idea. That's none of my business. I wanted her to go after with wild abandon, whatever it was that she felt she needed to pursue in life or in work or whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, off the cuff at some point, Emily was like, you know, what are your vows? And so I just started talking about this and some other things as well. And while I'm still thinking this is a goof, I'm looking at my wife and this is not a goof to her. This is the real stuff for her. And Tamalee is welling up. And the people behind us are on the edge of their pews kind of watching us. And long story short, there was kind of like in my wife's step, there was like a euphoria that was happening. Mm. And when I started really thinking about what it is, is that, and I speak to a lot of people who've had not so good relationships and they didn't turn out well, but they all started out pretty well, but then yeah. they didn't end up well. And part of me was thinking, well, if you got married 20 years ago and you said these vows and all these things, and all of a sudden 20 years goes by and these like, you know, like death by a million paper cuts kind of thing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, you hurt my feelings and I take a little microscopic step away from you. And, you know, I said something mean to you and you take a little microscopic step away from me. And 20 years later, there's a chasm. And how do you bridge the chasm? And I thought, if we just keep getting married, maybe there won't be a chasm. What if we just keep doing it? And since I love travel, and since my wife is is definitely, she loves travel as well, I thought, what a better way to do that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so since then, we've been married 26 times. There's 20 countries. We've been married multiple times in Mexico. And honestly, like, like my wife loves me. You know what I mean? Like if you met her, if you met her, there's no question. Part of it's because I'm a good guy and, you know, that sort of stuff. But part of it is I make sure that we do special things that I try to, you know, that I want to honor her and to be of service to her and that she knows that I'm on her team. Don't get me wrong. We disagree. We fight all those kinds of things. Occasionally a door gets slammed. 
But there is a point where it's like, I've married you 26 times. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. I love your intentionality around making sure you have such a beautiful relationship with your wife. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to the future, but I think, you know, the goal is, is to keep making the relationship a priority because I'm a selfish person by nature. I want what I want when I want it. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, I just want to eat bags of Oreos and do those kinds of things, but I have to come up with plan B's. Because otherwise, sort of me being selfish mm-hmm. has a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And then I start making bad decisions and I end up in places that I don't necessarily want to be. But so, listening to you, I'm hearing balance. The word balance keeps coming back. I love when I meet people who embrace that we all have the kind of, I don't know, for lack of better terms, good and bad in us. And you're okay with it. And when you realize the quote unquote bad, you can do something about it. It's not like you have to just stay there. I appreciate the way you share about life and specifically your own life and the way you navigate through it. Well, thank you. I would love to tell you I just made it all up. I know a special secret. I don't think I do. I think I've just made a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. and I don't want to keep repeating the same ones over and over again. Gotcha. You know, my wife isn't the first one. So I have a failed marriage, not a failed marriage. I mean, she actually, my first wife and I are, are friends and I speak to her often. She's Wonderful. a great person. She's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And I have a whole train wreck <laughs> of you know, train cars of train wreck of past relationships And I'm largely at fault. So if I ignored all that stuff, then I would kind of guarantee myself a lifetime of those kinds of mistakes when who wants that? Right. You know, know, what I'm noticing, Devin, is I enjoy hearing your stories and you have so much wisdom that you're sharing. But if I don't get to more questions, we won't get to your book and all that. Either way. Why is travel so important to you? And why have you purposed to inspire others to travel as well? Travel for me is like, it's a break from my regular life. I go through a day and it's just like the same stuff. So all of a sudden I look over the clock and the day is already over. Like, oh, it's, you know, it's time to get back to bed. (laughs) And I feel like I've just woken up. (laughs) Travel puts like a complete twist on that because you're frequently going to a place that isn't your place and it's not your food. It may be not your language. You don't know where you're going. So all of a sudden you're like paying attention to all the stuff that you might not not normally pay attention to, particularly the beauty of a place, right? I'm one of those guys that'll run around with a camera and a camera bag and all the lenses and all that stuff. (laughs) My wife is patient with me. Um, So because I want to capture the beauty of it. And so that's like on sort of like a personal level on a, I think on a spiritual level, I believe that we're supposed to know each other. Yes. You know what I mean? Because I think when we don't know each other, then it's easy to demonize each other. Mm. Right. And we have an extensive history of the world that showcases, well, those guys on the hill, they were bad news. And we have these ideas about them and we believe that they're true. So our response to their terribleness or our perceived terribleness is justified. Mm -hmm. And I think there's nothing worse than justified anger. Yes. Because it allows us to do anything. When I'm your friend 
I can't demonize you. So it's easier to know you. I remember the first time I went to Turkey and I spoke to my mother and she doesn't, it's not her jam to travel. <laughs> and we were talking and I said, oh, I'm going to Turkey. And she was like, why would you do that? Like right. she had some idea in her head and I don't know where it came from, but Turkey was like terrible. And maybe the things that she was thinking were real. They were certainly real for her, but she didn't know anybody who had been to Turkey. And so I'm like, well, I don't know. I'll find out when I get there. Yeah. And so I go there and uh, I have a spectacular time. The food's great. The people are great. Unbelievable culture, unbelievable architecture, all that kind of stuff. I agree. And oh, you've been. Yes. Yeah, it's remarkable. I think it's an incredible place. And so when I got back, I told my mother about it. And then ironically, somebody called her while we were talking. I was sitting in her living room and she answers the phone and she says, oh, Devin just got back from Turkey. It sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's because she knows and trusts me that she can know and trust my opinion of this place rather than thinking, oh, it's a terrible place. Right. And so when you experience that on your own, when you know that in your heart, you go and you experience people and culture and things like that. And then you can take that place of, oh, it must be a terrible place filled with terrible people to await. Mm -hmm. The baklava is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, there were some people who opened the door for me or, or did whatever they did. We have this exchange that becomes undeniable rather than me trying to debate with myself on some sort of emotional level about why somebody is good or not good. I could just go find out for myself and have that experience. Do you know that's the exact same reason I love to travel? I love to learn about people and cultures firsthand. While I do do some of the touristy stuff, I always try to mingle with the people who are from there and live there. And I had such a beautiful experience in Turkey, too, where people that lived in the neighborhood where my hotel was, they just endeared themselves to us and just became our friends. And it was like we had friends who could show us where to go and what to do. And they didn't ask for money or anything to do it. And they just hung out with us every day. And it made the trip so much more meaningful and beautiful. You know, again, I can only agree with you to the fullest extent. I mean, that's that's the way you do it. You go out, you meet people. And if they say, come to have dinner with me, you just say yes. yes you don't say absolutely. what's on the menu. No, get in the car <laughs> and go have the experience. I mean, unless, you know, you have some sort of weird psychic thing where it's like, don't get in the car with that person. The vast majority of the times, people are just amazing having their hospitality. Wonderful. I read some excerpts of your work and it made me think of the Christmas story type of humor, uh, that movie called A Christmas Story. It's witty, it's sarcastic, it's delightful, and it's sad. It's a great, honest tribute to your dad. And before I go too far with that, I want to hear more from you. But by the end of the story, I just wound up thinking it's wholly delightful. And yet, it's 100 miles with my dead father's ashes. How did you pull off something like this? So let's just jump right in and I'm going to hear from you. So you've written this book and it's 10,000 miles with my dead father's ashes. And many notable people have already held it as equally hilarious and heart-wrenching. And so from a, 
a writer's process and a therapeutic journey perspective, why do you think such a serious topic birthed from you wrapped in comedy? I think that's kind of a complicated question. You know, Mm -hmm. when we were talking earlier, I had told you that the first two drafts of the book were just me like, I hate your face. How dare you? You were a rotten father and good riddance, you know, see you in hell kind of thing. Because I needed to say that, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't need to read that. And to be quite frank with you, after two pages, you'd be bored really quickly. It's not interesting. It's not entertaining. And part of the process of writing the book is understanding that we have, my obligation as a writer is to give you a reason to turn the next page. You know what I mean? And if I don't do that, you're not turning the next page. So it wasn't like a purposeful choice I made to be sort of humorous. I mean, I think I'm kind of humorous in general. (laughs) So, I mean, I think it's kind of perhaps my natural inclination, but I think there were points where there was just like, you hurt my feelings. But really when I take a step back from my itsy bitsy feelings that have been hurt, that was ridiculous. I wanted the ridiculousness to creep in. I wanted you to know, yes, this upset me, and yes, this was sad, and yes, I expected more, and how dare he, and all of those kinds of things, and I had to honor the fact that you just weren't my therapist. I had to let you in on the fact that it's like, okay, yes, my feelings are hurt, but okay, I get it. It's ridiculous. So I had to allow you to see the ridiculousness. There's terrible writing like everywhere. There's terrible, terrible writing, but there's really good writing too. A Liar's Club comes to mind, which is on many levels really tragic. That's by Mary Carr, beautiful writer, poetess, unbelievable stuff. And that's who I'm competing with. I wanted to write my story and have it be really easy for me to write it. Like I just wanted to go, and here you go, it's a book. And I don't think that's what a good book is. The good book is, is that I have to revise. And that means I have to think about how is somebody else reading this? And I had to be open to the prospect that what I've written is just garbage and needs to be deleted. So you kind of keep chiseling away at it and refining it until it becomes something that may be useful to somebody else. And I wanted people who had nutty parents to read it and go, I get that. I want to chip away and find universal truth. And I wanted to find the humor in it, even it was painful because, you know, on a deeper level, I needed to see the humor for me. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like I needed to take all of my feelings about my father, you know, like I loved him. He's my hero. What a great, interesting, unreliable guy. All of my anger in those first two drafts were about really me and my selfishness mm-hmm. because I never took into consideration that, you know, here was a guy who was one of 13 children, three sets of twins in four year period, South side of Chicago, penniless and life was a struggle. So what was I supposed to expect from him? Well, you know, I certainly felt like I should expect more, but you know, I had to get to a place of, you know what he did as good as he could B. Yes. I was given far more than what he was given. And so I had to start getting into gratitude rather than the justifiable anger part, which is. And that's why I love this story. It's entertaining, 
but it's such good food for thought. I found myself reflecting on it from a child's perspective, from a mother's perspective, and from no matter how hard I tried to do things right, I still screwed some things up while raising my daughter. I just had all this range. But you know what? Even though you would say, you know, I hate my dad or I'm upset with my dad, I kept thinking to myself, I love his dad. I think it's it's the beauty of everything that you just shared. You were so real with some of your own ridiculous expectations. At the same time, the hurt and the pain is real too. So I was also touched by what you were experiencing by having to go to circumstances where your dad expects you to fight someone brutally. I felt that pain as well. I mean, you just had me all over the place and that's the beauty of such (laughs) good writing. That's what you have to do, Mm -hmm. right? Like in other words, if I wrote a book that was just like your problems, like just all the surface stuff of all of our problems, why would anybody read it? And why would anybody care? Mm -hmm. And so I think at some point I had to, A, take the, the reader in mind and I had to honor my father's legacy. Because even if I came away, like at the end of this, I said, really, my final judgment is my father's an idiot and a terrible person. That would not reflect the opinions of all the other people who knew him. Right. And my father was like a beloved figure. I still speak to relatives regularly, like, ah, your Mm -hmm. father, you know, he took me out for beers. We got drunk. We had all this, but, but I love him. There's this thing. So I think it would be inappropriate for me to ignore that, mm-hmm. right? Like I can have all that. kinds of feelings about him, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. like I'm the final arbiter of who his character was, right. right? Like I think we get to say in the final arbitration, we get Hitler was a bad dude. Yeah. My father was not Hitler. No. He was a flawed, imperfect guy. Yes. Great sense of humor. Mm -hmm. loved by all, Mm -hmm. unbelievably charming. Mm -hmm. So I can be really annoyed. You had to see the big picture. And you helped me see that. You know, when I look at people, you know, dead or alive or just people, I just understand that none of us are perfect. So I read so many parts. I was like, man, I wish, I really wish your dad hadn't done that. This is a terrible situation to put your son in. I had all of that, but I couldn't deny the fact that I liked him. (laughs) Right. I I think in sort of like the the bigger picture, I think we have to cut each other slack. My guess is, is that you've made mistakes that are like, oh, I wish I could go two out of three on that one. Absolutely. I got a a long (laughs) list of those things for myself. Mm -hmm. Do I want to be judged harshly by my stupidity, selfishness, imperfections, fear, you know, all of those things. Is that what I want to be seen as? And the answer, of course not, because I want you to know, yes, I've made mistakes, but I also want you to know, I've done, you know, I've helped the old lady across the street too once in a while. That's part of it. It's, I think it's that part of the thing. There's a great line by uh, Abdu'l-Bahá, sort of like the emblematic figure in the Baha'i faith, who says, we are all fruit on the same tree. And so that's one of those things that I think we're supposed to keep honoring that. Yeah, of course, the person down the block is just messed up entirely. They said the wrong thing. They did the wrong thing. They said the wrong word. But at some point, what do we want for that person? 
hopefully we want them to learn from their mistake. We want to embrace them, you know, like the community of humanity. I think it behooves us, our own individual wellness, to find compassion for our fellow humans. Right. When you shared that quote just now, it also just made me think of a biblical scripture. He who is without sin casts the first stone. Right. (laughs) I'll be stoned. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Who among us? Right. I just so respect you for the way you wrote this piece. I certainly saw your pain, but I admired you for being able to see and explore. I don't know if it was a totality, but a, a great range of who your father was. And, you know, it made me think of the tragic hero. He's a hero, but he has his flaws. Again, I feel like I'm just really throwing on the compliments, but it, it's coming from an honest place. I just thoroughly enjoyed this piece. And I got to tell you, the title didn't set me up to understand how much I was going to enjoy it. It's a wonderful title. It grabs you. It makes you say, hmm, I'll read this. It's a page turner. That's the hope, right? I think yeah. anytime we, we put together some writing, the, the big picture is I want you to read the book. So just take a minute now, let's back up. And I think you've touched on it a little bit, but speak to the pain you felt as a boy torn by having a father in which you both looked up to and were abandoned by. It's an interesting thing, you know, because the word pain implies to me anyway, like an immediacy of what's happening, right? You know, the Mm -hmm. lion steps on the thorn kind of thing, and it's in pain. And once you remove the thorn, theoretically, the lion should be good again. There's certainly in my history, you remove the thorn and the pain should go away. But that's kind of where suffering comes in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It starts taking over and like the pain is still there and its pain is still fresh, even though the wound is healed, right? Like there's nothing physically wrong. So speaking to the pain, of course, when you get a parent with lots of flaws, I witnessed the flaws firsthand and I'm the recipient of those flaws. Mm-hmm. And so the pain is uncomfortable. And then you're left with, why me? How come? And if I was better, if mm-hmm. I was more lovable, I would be okay. And, you know, all those kinds of things. And all I can say is the book was for me very cathartic. It really allowed me to A, get in touch with the pain. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to get in touch with the humor. And it allowed me to get in touch with accepting my father warts and all. And I may not have had the emotional capacity to just come up with that on my own. Like you could say, hey, listen, I remember your dad. He was a good dude and he tried and he loved you. I wouldn't have taken that. For the same reason, when we disagree about politics, like there isn't a sentence. If we disagreed, there isn't like some magic sentence that I could just say and you would just magically drop your opinion. Right. Like, oh, you're right. I've changed my mind. Uh That doesn't happen. Right. dead fight to the death over these kind of small things. I mean, we could argue, yes, there are some big ones too, but you get what I'm saying. I I think that I needed to kind of go through the book. You know, also I need to read somebody else's truth, right? Like I'm not looking to be convinced of something, but I need to see your truth manifest in you. And then I can open the door to the possibility of my own change. And books, again, like Liar's Club, Uh, there's another book, um, The 
things they carried. It's kind of classified as uh, Tim O'Brien. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's classified yeah. as fiction. It's not fiction. Yeah. You know, it's a book filled with truth. Yeah. And so it was those kinds of books, people telling their truth, opened the prospect that I could tell my truth and it would be okay. Like there was a point, like I had finished writing the book and there was a point where I literally drove to my mother's house, sat her down and said, listen, I've written this book and uh, everybody looks terrible. You know, you too. (laughs) (laughs) By the way. (laughs) By the way, everybody looks terrible. You're in it and you look terrible too. And it's part of the whole tapestry of why we write and how we write and all that kind of stuff. And actually, ironically, my mother said, well, is it funny? And I said, well, it's got some moments. She goes, well, if it's funny, then it can be, you know, then it's okay. But it's not funny, you know. And I'll tell you if it's funny. I know funny. See, this is what you shared with me about your mom. Now I'm loving your mom. You'd love my mom. They're ridiculous. You know, they were street people. They were both sort of raised in these environments where just life was really challenging. You had to push through it or yeah. fail a lot. And they both had their failures. I mean, you know. So listening to you, you know, I'm also an author. I wrote a book that's a painful story from my childhood. So I certainly can relate to those conversations with family and letting them know. So I've written this book. I believe that I've come... Through that experience, I agree with you. Writing for me was therapy. I was healing myself first and hoping that I'm producing something that's both entertaining and that others will be touched by and be caused to perhaps move forward because they're understanding how the character is or just wrapping your mind around all of this stuff. We really can let it go and move forward and not have our past control us, even if it's just controlling us through a mood of anger or whatever the case may be. I'm listening to you and I'm like, yep, I had those conversations. I know what that's like. When I was uh, going through your manuscript, one thing that I learned too is that I saw that balance. I saw that I was being entertained. I saw how funny it was. I saw that it's a a heart-wrenching story. And at the same time, I saw the wisdom. I kept just taking nuggets and putting it in my bag or taking a nugget out of my bag and looking at it again. You made me look at something that I've already stored, but now I'm looking at it through um, help, I would say, from your perspective and the things that you're sharing. One thing, though, and, you know, I keep getting to these questions and noticing that we've touched on it a bit, but I do still want to pose this next question. I just want to hear the wealth of what I I believe you're going to say. (laughs) One of my goals as a podcast host is to be a help to other people through life lessons learned, through maybe you're an expert in a particular area. And I think you're an expert writer, by the way. We want to be a bridge. There's so many people who maybe haven't had access to maybe some things that we have had access to. So we have all this human capital and social capital. So let's share what we know and help each other grow, so to speak. So here it is. What do you know that can be a bridge to help someone else get to their next level best regarding difficult parent-child relationships? as a traveler, writing stories, whatever you want to touch on, but I'm particularly interested in the parent-child relationship. What do you know? Nothing. 
Nothing. If I'm honest with you, like, okay. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I have like a bigger answer for that, but do I know anything? No, mm -hmm. I, I think what I try to do is put myself out into the world as, as being really honest. And, and so this, this will kind of talk about the answer to your question, but maybe in a, in a sideways angle is that if I tell you uncomfortable truth, whether it be humorous or sad or whatever. And this goes back to the idea of like, I think we're supposed to know each other. Well, how do we know each other? You and I are in an elevator and the elevator gets caught between floors for 12 hours. I could tell you a bunch of things in the hopes that you would view me in a particular way. So when the elevator doors open, you go, oh, Devin's the greatest guy and he has no problems and his life is wonderful <laughs> and that's it, right? But that wouldn't have been honest. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have served any greater purpose or greater good. But if, if I tell you, or if I open the door to the prospect that I will tell you some sort of a truth, and I, that means I have to lower my guard, that means I have to do those kinds of things. If I do that, then perhaps I open the door or make it easier for you. And I love this word, reciprocity. That means I open the door where you get to be reciprocal to me. If I tell you my truth, my scary, uncomfortable truth, maybe, just maybe you'll go, well, here's my uncomfortable truth. Yeah. And maybe I've talked about my uncomfortable truth a million times and I have, so I'm more comfortable with it. But what if it's your first time? So that means as a friend, I have to create a safe environment for you. And the more safe you make that environment for me, the safer I get to feel mm -hmm. in coming up with these things. So how do we bridge the gap? You know, sometimes having uncomfortable conversations. And I think it's sometimes just revealing our truths in our humanity as best we can. Right. right? And I mean, I hope that was part of the way the book comes across right. is that I'm going to talk about this uncomfortable thing. Some of it's going to be really unvarnished. So I'll use course language and I'll say whatever, whatever ridiculousness comes to mind. But hopefully what people will remember is this was a truthful thing that resonated with me. And if it resonates with you, then as you were talking about, well, maybe I'm going to take this nugget and I'm going to re-examine the nugget. What yeah. does that nugget mean to me? And if that opens up a new door to your own peace yeah. and comfort, I've read lots of really unbelievable books because my parents within themselves didn't have the kind of capacity. And part of it is I grew up with Phil Donahue and I'm dating myself. Mm -hmm. Right. So I grew up with sort of like, that was like, okay, now we're starting to try to talk about our emotional health and talk about our truth. Even hearing myself speak, it sounds like I'm going all woo woo or something like that. No. You know what I mean? Well, right. no, that's the way I'm picturing myself. I think the more we, we dive into these sort of like uncomfortable truths about ourselves without finger pointing, that's the other important thing. Right. It's one thing to say, well, I'm going to tell you my truth and now I'm going to let you have it. That doesn't make you feel safe. I think it's easy to offer lip service, uh -huh. right? Oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter when it really does matter. Or give somebody a compliment when you really don't mean it. Or say to say, I love you, not because... I want you to know that you were loved, but because I'm secretly hoping you're going to say I love you to me. You're presenting the truth and kind of letting something as noble as the truth do its own work with each individual, whatever that is. I'm just a conduit. And that's why I don't know anything. I see. No, that's why I'm following why you answered it that way. 
I learn some stuff and I try it out and then it pays dividends. And, you know, then I get to lead a happier life. And if more of us are leading happy lives, there's really less and less reasons to argue or to demonize or to do all those kinds of things. Mm. At the end of the day, the more of the stuff I do, like the more I put myself out there, the more I am content with what it is that I have. Do you know what I mean? Then I can start finding the high mindedness of compassion and gratitude and all of those other things that really, I just want you to give me that. Do I want to go the extra mile to give you that? Right. And frequently the answer is no, I just want to eat another cupcake because. Wow. I think your last response, if you will, is just packed with beautiful things. I think that while people listen to this podcast, they're going to reflect on our conversation similarly to the way that I did while reading your book. I truly hope people will go out and get this book and, and your other writings. And I hope this podcast inspires people to do that. Before we get to the point, though, of hearing more about how people can stay connected with you, which one final gem? And I got to say, I hesitate to even ask you this, but I ask every guest this. This is the one question that's the same for every time. Which one, Jim, can you leave with our audience today that you think is maybe the single most important idea that you've, you've shared in this talk? I was going to pick something completely different. I think perhaps the biggest lesson I ever learned, and I, I know that it's in a book, but it, it came to me from elsewhere. I want to say it's like from the four agreements. And I, I think it's um, like one of the rules, which is it's not personal. All the stuff that happens around us. My father wasn't doing his imperfections. He wasn't doing it to me. I just happened to be in the room when he was being him. And so the more I've gone into the idea that like, it's not personal, then I don't have to take it personal. Rather than saying, you know what, that person over there did the wrong thing because they are probably filled with fear or imperfect or somebody gave them really bad advice or whatever, right? If I happen to be caught up in that thing, then my job becomes, well, I need to get out of the thing and I don't need to make the situation worse. But it's harder to do that when it's directed to me. Do you know what I mean? So what that means is I have to go out of my way. And this is a side thing is that I have to keep looking for people to put in my life who are, are going to be teammates mm-hmm. for the future. You know what? You said that you're doing something different, but I think that answered the question perfectly. I think that's a wonderful, Jim, and I think it's related to the things we've been talking about today. Don't take it personally. And what does that do for your life when you're no longer really kind of seeing yourself as a victim? When you're a victim, it's kind of a helpless, hopeless, can't move forward almost. So, but to say I experienced this and it hurts and it wasn't necessarily, you know, someone pre-planned this thing to happen directly to me. You can sort through it in an honest, objective way. And that's how we can move past those things that otherwise would Uh, hinder us from moving forward. Right. Uh, Because otherwise we get caught in cycles that just spin in the same circle. 
it's also my experience is that we repeat the same kinds of experiences over and over again. Like I would go out with a woman who would behave in a certain way and it would hurt my feelings and I wouldn't like it. And then I would, you know, we'd break up and then I'd go find a woman that was just like her. And I would just keep repeating the same nonsense over and over again until I started realizing, oh, this is just the way that I'm handling it. I'm like, I'm not learning anything. You know, it was like all of a sudden I realized, oh, this is, they're not doing this to me. This is just the way they behave. And I'm attracted to that behavior for some weird reason. And now I need to look at me. And then once I started doing that, all of a sudden, like, oh, I mean, there's other types of women running around. That ownership of, of it's, it's you. It gives you power. It allows you to be able to do something to change it. Because at the end of the day, you can't change the things outside of yourself. You can just change you. So reaching a point around almost any issue that is hurtful or uncomfortable, realizing that there's something in you, even if it's just a different response to it, that's a game changer. That's a life changer. Because that's where you can do something. You can sort through your hurt feelings. You can, it's in the realm of what you can do. And so a lot of us spend too much time trying to change others rather than doing that work on the inside. And sometimes the work on the inside may promote you removing yourself from the other. Again, I completely agree. And I think what ends up happening is, is when I start, this is kind of like one of those old, you know, proverby kind of things mm-hmm. is that if I want something different, I'm going to have to do something different to get it. Right. And, you know, it may seem obvious but when I speak to people frequently, there is kind of a sense. Of, I know this problem, like this problem that I have that won't go away. I know what this problem is. I know what to expect from it. It may be like horrible, but the unknown is scary. So I'd rather sit in this bad situation mm-hmm. rather than start exploring and doing new things. Cause I don't think we change our world merely by having a new thought. Right. It's that we have a new thought and now we have to take a new action. Exactly. And if you're like working at target and I have nothing against target or people who work for target, right. but if I want to start my own business, working at target may be easy Like, oh, it's a reliable paycheck. And I know that I can go there every Monday to Friday. And that's a good thing. And it is a good thing. If your heart's desire is, I want to start some sort of a business, then working at Target isn't going to make that any easier. So you have to go out and start your business, or you have to go out and tell your truth, or you have to go out and be honest, or you have to go out and make something change. Again, like with my wife, going back to her. If I want the relationship to continue mm-hmm. to be good, I have to keep doing the things that allowed us to get there. Absolutely. I have to keep putting the work in mm-hmm. to letting her know that she is loved because you don't win today's game by, <laughs> by yesterday's score. I'm just filled with them. You are. I love it. <laughs> you were making me even think of, we will stick with the devil we know, so to speak. <laughs> We don't want to tangle with the one that we don't know. Man, you just give so many. I'm just going to keep with the nuggets. I have more nuggets in my bag and I'm going to reflect on some more nuggets, take them out and look at it. And I love that you related it to anything from relationships to your goals in life. If you want to be a business owner and things like that. So we're kind of speaking 
to the world of my audience today (laughs) and saying, look, if you're in that uncomfortable space, look inside and see what's going on the inside that's causing you to repeat these cycles and do some kind of self-analysis. And after thinking about it, Devin's saying those actions have to follow. So if you really want to change your life at a certain point, you got to put it to action. Whatever it is, you're stuck somehow in a cycle emotionally. You're stuck in bad relationships. You're stuck in not getting the job or the career that you want. Look inward, do some reflection, and then put some things into action. I love it. I am so honored, pleased, and I appreciate you so much for being on my show today, Devin. And I would love for you to share with my guests how they can stay connected to you, uh, get your books or anything you want to share around all of that. Well, A, thank you. It's It's been a pleasure. One thing I didn't mention, I am the co-host of Bookish Talk, which is on E360 TV. Pamela is going to be our guest, you know, I think in the in the near term, yes. Um, yes. which is going to be exciting. We're starting our second season. So we have authors and we talk about things like that. And I'm a total book nerd, if you haven't figured <laughs> that out already, because I love writing and I love books. Uh, 10,000 Miles with My Dead Father's Ashes is still available on Amazon. I would love it if you would read it. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me at devingalladay.com. I'm not sure if you'll have show notes because my last name is a little complicated. Uh, (laughs) But devingalladay.com. And if you want to write me, you can write me at devin at devingalladay.com. And, uh, you know, I think it's always fun to make new friends. So Wonderful. Thanks again, Devin. It was a complete pleasure having you. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.